Father, we thank you so much for the promise that we just sang, that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand. That beautiful gospel promise of Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And at the end of that chapter, to remind us that nothing can separate us from your love. So Father, would you help us to know that in a new and a fresh way today? Help us to rest in the promise of the Great Commission. You are with us always, even to the end of the age. That you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Lord, we're so grateful for these things. Father, this is a, a time of the year where many hearts are weary and heavy. And what we desire to be a season of joy is, I know for many of my brothers and sisters, surrounded by a, a cloud of darkness and despair. Will you show us Jesus today? Show us your goodness again. Remind the weary that you are for them and you are not against them that you have not left them, you have not forsaken them. Be near, Father. Help us to know you. Help us to hear your voice today through your word. Will you speak to us words that will both edify your church and bring glory to the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, um, before you're seated, I was given the universal sign from the back of the room. If you, you are able to move into the center of the row as much as you can, it's very, very full in here this morning. Um, let's try not to leave uh, any seats in the middle open. If we can leave those aisles open for some who are still trickling in. Always grateful for your cooperation um, in that as well. Meet a new neighbor this morning, Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn with me to James chapter four. James chapter four is where we're gonna spend our time together this morning, uh, looking at verses 13 through 17. If you're our guest, my name's Taylor and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor and we're honored to have you worshiping with us this morning. And um, what our church family's been doing for the last few months since the month of September is we've been working verse by verse through the book of James. And so today we're gonna to be wrapping up James chapter four, again, looking at verses 13 through 17. For a long time, for a few years, I had this daily planner I was using that had a little bit of a journaling component to it. And part of the journaling activity every single day had you answer the question, um, if I could do today over again, I would blank. But what was unique about that question is that you didn't answer the question at the beginning or at the end of your day, you answered the question at the end of your day. And the exercise there is to get you thinking about the end of your day and anticipating the things that maybe if you come to the end of the day, you would have regrets had you not done them differently. And so, so what you're doing at the beginning of the day is, is writing things like, if I could do today over again, I would be more present with my family. I would have listened better in that conversation. 
I would have responded a little bit differently in this moment or, or in this meeting. So hopefully as those things are happening throughout the course of the day, you're, you're able to think through, hey, if I act this way, if I respond in this way, it's probably going to create some regrets at the end of the day. And I just found it to be a really, really helpful exercise. Now, the text that we're looking at together this morning, James chapter four, this is not the first time our church family has looked at these verses. We looked at them a few years ago, but as I was pulling up notes on my laptop over the last couple of weeks pre- preparing this message, I noticed the very first time our church family actually looked at these verses was seven years ago this very weekend, just a few weeks before we were having our first public services. That's probably a total coincidence, right? It's almost like there's somebody behind the scenes that's, that's making all this come together and, and happen. And man, as I sat and thought about how much changed in seven years, it was completely overwhelming. I mean, at that point in time, we were a launch team of just a few dozen adults getting ready to have our first services a few weeks later. And, you know, we didn't have this building. We didn't have our staff. We didn't have our budget. Like our staff and elder team now is like the size of our whole church back then. And so much has changed. Man, we've seen so many people come to faith in Jesus. There's been so much to celebrate. And it was just honestly overwhelmed at the goodness of God, thinking about how good he's been to us as a church family. But what would also hit me as I was thinking about the last seven years, was this feeling. Man, that went really, really fast. You know, at that point in time, our family, we had an almost four-year-old, we had an almost two-year-old, and we had another baby on the way. Our, Our youngest Lincoln was born during our first Easter week in 2017. And, you know, when I think about, man, like that went really, really fast. Seven more years from now, I'm, I'm now going to have an 18-year-old, and I'm going to have a 16-year-old, and I'm going to have a 14-year-old, and, and it just creates kind of this urgency within my heart. Like, man, if it went that quickly then, it's going to come even more quickly now. And, and the message of James that we're going to see this morning is going to create within us an urgency, because what James shows us in these few verses, church family, is that your life is not here today, gone tomorrow. Your life is here today, and on the spectrum of eternity, it's gone today. It's fast. Our life is a vapor. Our life is a mist. And without a holy ambition to live for the will of God and to live for the glory of God and to walk according to the word of God, without this gospel urgency in our hearts and without keeping our eyes on eternity, we're going to be people when we get to the end, they're going to be loaded with regrets. So what James 4 shows us this morning is that we can avoid the sorrow of tomorrow's regrets by living in light of eternity today. When you and I totally surrender to the will of God, when we resolve to walk in obedience to his word, whenever we come to grips with the brevity of our lives, we will live lives that matter to the glory of God. So I ask you the question at the beginning this morning. Here at the beginning of this sermon, I'm asking you to think about the end. Not just the end of this sermon, not just the end of this service, not just the end of this day. I want you to think about the end of your life and ask yourself today, what would I do differently? And let's resolve to be people who are pursuing the glory of God so that we will not be filled with regrets on that day. So from James chapter four, let's read beginning with verses 13 and 14. James writes, come now you who say today or tomorrow, We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And listen to this question. What is your life? I want you to sit on that for just a few moments this morning. What is your life? James gives us a sobering answer. For you are a mist. Everybody say mist. Mist. 
You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James gives us a sobering reminder at the very beginning of this text this morning in verses 13 and 14. James shows us first, remember that your life is short and nothing is ever guaranteed. Remember that your life is short and nothing is ever guaranteed. Now, one of the things that I really love about the book of James, I think many of you have grown to love over the last few months, is that James is just loaded with simplicity and clarity. You know, there's, there's some texts that are a little bit more difficult to untangle than others, but this verse, like many of the verses we've looked at for the last few months, they're really cut and dry and straightforward and don't require a ton of interpretation. And, you know, verses 13 and 14 describe a person who's doing what any one of us would do. That this is someone who is business-minded and they're making plans for the success of their business. So this isn't like an evil, sinister activity that James is describing here at the end of chapter four. There's a person who's doing what any of us would do. They're planning where they're gonna go. They're planning what they're gonna do. They're planning how long they're going to stay. And in our minds, man, that's not an evil ambition. That's just good business sense, right? We see all the way through the scripture, particularly in the book of Proverbs, there is a lot of wisdom in planning well and thinking for the future and investing wisely and being smart with your money and and making good decisions because we recognize our decisions could have long-term negative impacts if we make the wrong ones. And, And so it's not that James is necessarily calling us to be people who never make plans, but what James is warning us against this morning is living with eternal short sightedness. What James is challenging us with here is that we should not be people who are so locked in on our plans and what's happening right here and what's happening tomorrow, the things that we want to do, that we lose sight of the eternity that's still to come. Becoming so fixated on the here and now that we lose sight of eternity is the quickest way to make sure we will be loaded with regrets in the end. James reminds us in verse 14, he says, you don't even know what tomorrow is gonna bring. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so he asks us then to consider this question, what is your life? What's your life? And like he does so many times through this letter, he gives us this very graphic illustration. He said, your life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's a fog that vanishes. This past week, I was up in Asheville, North Carolina. This is the mountains of Western North Carolina near where I grew up. And I was there with a group of pastors with some, for some strategic planning for a couple of days. And, um, and, and so we uh, were together in this cabin. In the cabin where we were staying, there was a big pond right out in front. And so I grew up in the mountains. I love the cold weather. I love that, that brisk, cool morning air. And so um, the first morning we were there, I got up, I made a cup of coffee and, and went outside. And I just kind of stood on the, the, the deck that was there that was overlooking the pond. And there was this heavy fog that set in kind of around the house and on the pond. And I could kind of see, uh, you know, very vividly, just, just somewhat down into where the pond was. And so it's a pretty, pretty thick cloud of fog that was there. So I finish up my coffee. I go back inside and make a second cup of coffee because that's, that's what I require. I don't know about you, but um, I, I make a second cup of coffee and I have a conversation with a couple guys for about 10 minutes and I go outside and the fog is gone. And James says here in verses 13 and 14, that's your life. That's your life. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a fog. It's here in the morning and it is gone before you even start drinking your second cup of coffee. When you look across the spectrum of eternity, that is what our life is. And listen, that's a very sobering reminder, right? Like just that reminder, hey, you're going to die someday. Thanks for the good news this morning, Taylor, right? 
Like that's a sobering reminder. I just wanted to sit like that. That's a very somber reminder. It's brief, it's short, it's gonna disappear before we even notice. But here's the thing, church, don't miss this this morning. Lean in on this a little bit. When you finally come to grips with the reality of the brevity of this life, that will create within you an urgency for the eternity that is to come. And that's the type of life that will not have regret when we get to the last day. When we do come to grips, when we embrace and we recognize, I'm not going to be here just like this in this physical form in this place forever. When we come to the reality of this, when we recognize this is temporary, that's forever, that's what's going to help us live our lives for the glory of God. Earlier this year, um, we walked through a, a number of statements that Jesus makes in the gospels where he invites people to follow him. And, and whenever Jesus issues one of these follow me statements, it, it always calls us to consider our current life in light of the eternity that's to come. And so in Mark chapter eight, verses 34 through 36, Jesus warns us against just living for the here and now. He warns us against just living for our plans and our desires and our ambitions. And this is what he says. He said, calling to the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen, for whoever would save his life, what's gonna happen? He'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is the paradox and the promise of the gospel message. You try to hold on to this life, you're just gonna live for the here and now, you will lose it in the end. If you hold on to it tightly here, you're going to lose it there. But if you will give up your life, if you will deny yourself, if you will take up your cross, if you will follow Jesus Christ, if you will die to your sin, if you will die to yourself and you will set yourself apart to be used by God as an instrument for his glory in the advancement of the gospel, that is the person who will be saved. You try to hold on to it now. Listen, it's, not, it's nothing. It is a mist. It's a vapor. On the spectrum of eternity, it is an inconsequential blip on the radar. And if you try to keep it, in the end, you're going to lose it. Remember that your life is short. Remember that nothing is guaranteed. I love these words from Charles Spurgeon. He said this in a very Spurgeon-esque way. This is the history of the grass. Sown, grown, blown, mown, Gone and the history of man is not much more. That's our life. You don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring. Your life is not here today, gone tomorrow. Your life is here today, gone today. So church family, hear the urgency in the words of James this morning. Hear the urgency in the invitation of Jesus. Don't resolve to follow him tomorrow. Resolve to follow him today because we're not even guaranteed today. James 4, 15, James goes on to say, instead. So again, instead of being the person who's, hey, today, tomorrow, we're gonna go to this town, we're gonna make this money, we're gonna do this stuff. He, he calls us to issue a qualifier here. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Everybody say that with me this morning. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So first, remember that your life is short and nothing's ever guaranteed. Second, James calls us to live according to the will of God in everything you say and do. Because your life is short, because it is a vapor, because it is a mist, because you're not even guaranteed today, 
then the very best thing we could do is fully surrender ourselves to the will of God, submitting to the will of God, walking according to the will of God in everything that we say and everything that we do. So again, it's not that we necessarily do away with our planning. It's just that James calls us to add this qualifier, if the Lord wills. What he means by that is we won't be so focused on our short-term or long-term planning that we become eternally short-sighted. So it's, yes, I will make my plans, but I will make my plans only according to what God has willed. So it's not going to be so focused on, on what's happening today or tomorrow, 12 to 18 months from now, that we lose sight of the eternity that's to come. Now, whenever we talk about the will of God, I want to I wanna create some clarity for us here this morning because sometimes we, we get really, really muddled up whenever we start talking about the will of God. The will of God is often talked about like it's some, you know, just mysterious kind of like Monty Python quest for a holy grail. It's, it's like a fountain of youth pursuit. Like it's just this big kind of hidden mysterious treasure hunt that we've, we, we kind of get a little bit of direction. We get some clues here and there and we, we just hopefully stumble into discovering it one day. And so uh, let's, let's clarify this a little bit today. Whenever scripture talks about the will of God, it talks about God's will in a couple of different ways. First, there's the sovereign will of God. And, and what the sovereign will of God is speaking to is the fact that there is a creator God who is in control and sovereign over all things. There is a plan that is unfolding across the arc of history and in the backdrop of eternity that only God fully sees, only God fully knows, only God fully understands. And this side of eternity, there are a number of things that we will never truly know or understand the will of God. We just won't know that until we see him face to face. This is part of what makes him God, is that he works in ways we don't understand. And yet at the same time, there are a number of places in scripture where we see clearly stated the words, this is the will of God. And so we don't, whenever we talk about the will of God, we don't just talk about the sovereign will of God. We also talk about the stated will of God. And, and so here's, here's how it unfolds. We've got a few different scriptures here really quickly together. First uh, John two seventeen talks about those who do the will of God. John says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When you, those of you who studied the Sermon on the Mount with us last year, we saw similar words from Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does what? The will of my father who's in heaven. And so God desires not just that we know his will, but that we actually do his will. So what then is the will of God? We see through the New Testament, a number of times explicitly stated the language, this is the will of God. Two of these instances come in the book of 1 Thessalonians, one in chapter four, and then another one in chapter five. So here's 1 Thessalonians four, chapter three. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, for this is the will of God. Okay, so no, no mystery here. Like there's, no, there's nothing to uncover. There's nothing to discover. There's nothing to seek out. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So what is the will of God for your life? The will of God for your life is for you to be sanctified. Is for you by the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit to walk in righteousness and holiness before him. It is the will of God for you to be made more like Jesus Christ. And he gives a specific example. He says, you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So that's the will of God. The will of God is that you be sanctified, that you walk in holiness, that you walk in obedience. And then in the very next chapter, he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice, how much? Always. Always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in how many circumstances? 
all circumstances. Why? For this is what? For this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. So how can you know that you are pursuing the sovereign will of God? How can you know that you are chasing after the sovereign will of God by walking in obedience to the stated will of God? But don't, don't miss this this morning. For very few people in this room is uncovering the will of God gonna be found like this. This is what I think some of us are waiting for. Like you wanna be driving down 95 and you wanna see a big flashing billboard like, like next to Bucky's or something. It's like, Joey, do this thing. Do this specific thing. Go ch ch chase after this very, very specific ambition. That's probably not how it's gonna happen. But here's how you will come to uncover and discover the sovereign will of God. It's by taking the very next step of obedience that he places in front of you today. Today. Whatever it is he places in front of you today, the next step of obedience he places in front of you today, whatever has been stated by his will, pursue that saying. This is what's gonna happen. This is where I fear many of you might be. Western believers, we're really, really guilty of this. We wanna chase the mountaintop experience. It needs to be big. It needs to be epic. It needs to be emotional. It needs to hit us in all the fields. And we, we wanna kind of live in that place. But here is how the will of God is really gonna be discovered in your life. It's gonna be discovered through one million completely unseen, unspectacular steps. It's just being faithful to do what he puts in front of you in that very moment. So let's get a little bit more specific here. The way we can know we're submitted to his sovereign will is by walking in obedience to his stated will. So you might be asking today, is it God's will for me to grow my business? I think that's a good ambition. That's a holy ambition. That, that, that can be a, a God-honoring thing. That's not necessarily an evil plan. Is it God's will? Is it his sovereign will for me to grow my business? Well, ask yourself these questions today. Are you treating your employees well today? Are you taking care of them today? Are you abiding by ethical and legal business practices today? Because if you're not being obedient to his stated will today, you can be sure you're not living in a sovereign will and pursuing it. You might ask the question this morning, is God calling me to overseas mission? Man, what, what a great question. What a great ambition. Are you being faithful where you are now? Are you studying God's word now? Are you being equipped for ministry now? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you seeking him in word? Before you go overseas to share the gospel with people you've never even met, have you gone across the street to share the gospel with your neighbor who you see every single day? Because you're not just gonna magically become an evangelist when you move to a different country. Are you being faithful with where you are today? Is God calling me to marry this person? Great question. Probably outside of the, the decision to follow Jesus Christ, this would be one of the most important decisions you could ever make. And that's a really, really good question. So ask yourself, if you're dating somebody, you're considering dating someone, are we honoring Christ in our relationship today? Is Jesus at the center of all of our pursuits and ambitions today? Are you maintaining relational and sexual purity today? Are you doing these things? Because guys, here's the thing. No, no matter what it is you're pursuing according to God's sovereign will, the one thing you can be absolutely certain of is Jesus is never calling you to walk in sin. It's never the will of God for you to live in sin. So it's, it's not enough for us to say, I'm just kind of waiting to see what God's will is. He has shown us what his will is and he calls us to pursue it with all that we are. You know, there, a way that we're doing this as a church right now, that you were here two weeks ago, um, we rolled out our plans for Seek Week 2024. Who's, who's excited about Seek Week? And if, man, I'm at like 11 on this thing right now and I don't anticipate I'm coming down to like March or April. I'm, I am so, so fired up. 
And we, we've sent this out via email if you missed it the last couple of weeks, but at the very beginning of 2024, we as a church family are gonna devote ourselves to a full week of intensively seeking the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, here's, here's how we can know this is the will of God. Here's how we can know, because we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're called to rejoice always. We're called to pray without ceasing. We're called to give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God. And so for, for one full week, we're gonna do our best to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. We know that's the stated will of God. And man, Lord willing, according to his sovereign will, we hope that as we seek the Lord with all of our hearts, that he sends revival to our church, that he sends awakening to our community. That's his sovereign will. So while we wait on his sovereign will to be revealed, let's walk in obedience to the stated will of his word. Guys, most of the time, it's not coming in some big flashing billboard. It's gonna come through one million unseen, unspectacular steps of obedience. So the question I wanna ask you is, what is the next step of obedience God is putting in front of you today? God's will for your life is to share the gospel the next time you have the opportunity to share the gospel. God's will for your life is for you to seek him in prayer. It's for you to seek him in your word. It's for you to seek him and, and to worship together in community and fellowship with other believers in Jesus Christ. It's his will for you to right the wrongs that you see happening in this world, to cry out to him for justice and to move on behalf of his people. These things are the will of God. And we know this because his word says they're the will of God you will have a much better chance at uncovering the sovereign will of God if you will walk according to the stated will of God. James rounds out this text like this in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So remember that your life is short. Remember that nothing is ever guaranteed. That means that you should live your life according to the will of God and everything you say and do. And more specifically, that means third, that we're called to forsake every sin we're called to avoid and to keep every command we're called to obey. So that, that's the progression here this morning. Your life, it's short. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's going to go quick. It is a blip on the radar of eternity. Since it's so short, to make the most of it, man, you, you should be striving to live your life according to the will of God and everything that you say and do. And living your life according to the will of God and everything you say and do means living your life in such a way that you desire to forsake every sin that God has called you to avoid and to obey every command that God has given to obey. This is the type of life that James is calling us to. This is the type of life that if we will submit ourselves to this. We don't, or we're not going to have to worry about regret in the end. We're not gonna to have to worry about wondering, man, did I miss it? Did I waste it? What, what would I have done differently? If we'll devote ourselves to these things, this is our best opportunity to live our lives for the glory of God in such a way that they won't be wasted. It's really interesting to me in verse 17 here, in verses 16 and 17, you know, what we would call just wise business sense, good planning, James actually calls it boasting. And he says that kind of boasting, that type of, that type of boasting, the planning where you're, you're just making your plan for today, you're making your plan for tomorrow, you're making your plan for next year, and you're doing all of it without a single thought to who the Lord is and, and what he desires for your life. And you're doing this not according to his will, but according to your will. James says that type of boasting is arrogant and it's evil. And so if that type of boasting is arrogant, like the, the planning and the ambition disconnected from the will of God, if that type of boasting is evil, 
then what type of boasting is good? The Apostle Paul gives us an answer in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians 6, 14, Paul says this. He says, but far be it from me to boast, except. Everybody say except. Okay. All other kinds of boasting is bad. All other boasting is evil. Boasting apart from the will of God, that's, that's evil. So he says to man, far be it from me to boast, except. There's one thing that's good to boast in, and he says it's this. He says, it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There is a type of boasting that, that dishonors the Lord. Planning without consulting the word of God, planning apart from the will of God and, and just saying, hey, tomorrow I'm doing this and next week I'm doing that. And next year I'm gonna do this. James says, man, that, that is such an evil way to plan your life. That type of boasting is evil. But if you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, if you boast in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you wanna know why we're called Cross Community Church? Galatians 6, 14 is your answer. It's our ambition to say, Lord, that's what we're boasting in here. That's what we're proud of here. That's what we're gonna be excited about here. We want to exalt the message of the gospel. We want to exalt the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so important to boast in the cross and nothing else. This is such good news for us today. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood shed for our sins, it covers for us all of our unholy ambitions and all of our failed good intentions. This is what the cross is covering for you. The cross is covering this for you. Every time we promise God, it's the last time we'll commit a sin, but then we do it again five minutes later. Every time we want to share the gospel and didn't, every time we turn, like James warns us against, a blind eye against poverty or injustice, every time we've neglected his word or we've neglected the Lord in prayer, boasting in the cross means we have stopped attempting to boast in anything else. The best that most of us have are a lot of failed, unfulfilled, good intentions and selfish ambitions disconnected from the will and the word of God. And so James calls us to be the type of people that say, we will boast in nothing but Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna boast in my intentions. I'm not gonna boast in my ambitions. I'm not going to boast in my plans. I will boast in Jesus because he has done for me what I could never do for myself. And that is the good news of the gospel is that even though we have made plans apart from God's will, even though we have been selfish at times in our ambitions, even though we've made a million promises to the Lord that we've not been able to keep, every failed promise in us found its yes in Jesus Christ. And he has been for us what we could never be for ourselves. So we boast in the cross. You know, James has shown us repeatedly through this book, the key theme in the book of James is that faith without works is dead. We've got to go beyond good intentions. We've got to go beyond our own personal ambitions. True saving faith is evidenced by obedience to Jesus Christ, which means we're going to be people who do what his word commands, and we will be people who avoid what his word forbids. And so in verses 16 and 17, James uh, addresses a couple of different types of sins, and many of you will be familiar with this language. Verse 16, James warns us against sins of commission. Arrogant boasting, that's a sin of commission. We have committed a sin. 
And a sin of commission is really what we looked at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's when we do something that we should not do. That, that's what a sin of commission is. And I think we're being honest, most of us tend to think about sin in this particular category. We, we generally think of the things, the bad things that we should not do. And so this is stuff like lying or stealing or gossip or slander or divisiveness or sexual sin. Like these are things that we do that we shouldn't do. But the Bible does not just address sins of commission. Verse 17, James also addresses sins of omission. A sin of commission is when we do something we shouldn't do. A sin of omission is when we don't do something that we should do. Verse 17, James gives us clear exhortation here. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This could be things like prayerlessness. Does it ever dawn on you like prayerlessness is a sin? Like we're commanded to do it. And so when we don't do it, it's a sin of omission. Prayerlessness for the professing Christian, do you understand that makes you a functional atheist? Like, and maybe even worse because the atheist doesn't even say that there's a God there. Like we say he's there, but we just don't talk to him. And that there's a total disconnect in this. It's when we, we don't pursue the Lord in his word. It's when we, we fail to share the gospel when, when we should. It's when we fail to love our neighbors in the ways that we should. These are all sins of omission. We, we quickly forget, oftentimes, our sins of, of omission, man, these grieve the heart of God just as much as our sins of commission. We just have a tendency to try to make ourselves feel better about it because in our eyes, it's not as ugly as the other stuff. And, and so we've got to be so, so careful that we not fall into just the sinister comfort of believing that we can just kind of live our lives in apathy, just kind of, kind of drifting under the radar. As long as we avoid all the bad stuff, we're good to go. I mean, there's a whole life that God has called us to. He's entrusted all of us with gifts. He's entrusted us with abilities, with time, with resources. That's all meant to be stewarded for his glory. And if we don't, we will end up wasting our lives. I think one of the most powerful examples of this comes uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus uh, tells a story that we know as the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, Jesus tells a story of a man who had, um, who had three servants. And he, he starts distributing to these servants talents. And so a talent was, uh, one talent by itself was 20 years worth of wages. And so you know, think about whatever it is you make in a given year and multiply that by 20. That's, that's what one talent equaled. And so uh, Jesus tells a story. He said, a man had three servants and he distributed talents to each one of his servants according to their ability. So he knew these guys. He knew what each one of them could handle. Uh, he distributed talents to them and he said, hey, I want you to go make this grow. Go, go, go do something with this. And so the first servant is given five talents. He's given five of these. So 20 years wages apiece. That's a hundred years worth of wages that's entrusted to this first guy. I mean, that is a significant responsibility. And then the second servant, we're told, according to his ability, he's issued two talents. It's still a significant amount of money. It's 40 years worth of wages. That's a whole career, right? And then there's a third servant. It's 20 years worth of wages. It's smaller than the rest of these other guys, but it's still a significant sum of money. And then break, everybody goes, that they start doing their thing. The first servant who received five talents, he goes and he puts this to work and he's wise with the talents that are given to him. And so we're told in this story that he goes and he makes five talents more. So he goes from five to 10. And then we are told that the servant who had the two talents, he puts his to work and he's wise with what's given to him and he stewards it all well. And he goes from two to four. But this is what we're told about the servant who was only given one. He's afraid. He's afraid of the risk. This is my one talent. Don't want to mess with this. 
So instead of doing what the first servant did and taking his five and making them 10, instead of doing what the second servant did and taking his two, his two and making it four, he takes his one talent and then he goes and he buries it in the ground. Hides it away. Don't want to risk it. It's my only one. Got to be careful with this. I know the master's coming back. I know he's going to expect to, to get his in, investment back. And so the master does return. He, he comes back and he goes to the servant who received five talents. He's like, man, you had five and you made five more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And he goes to the servant who was given two. And he said, man, you were given two and you made two more. You were faithful with a little. I'm giving you more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he gets to that third servant. He's like, hey, where's, where's my talent? Oh, oh yeah, be right back. So he goes, he gets it, comes out, got it right here. Kept it safe. You're getting everything that you gave me at first. And what's his response to that servant? He says, you're wicked. You're unfaithful. You knew I was coming, but like you couldn't even put it in the bank, like get it 0.5% interest or something. You did nothing, like you buried it. And we're told that, man, that servant, like what was given to him, eventually it was taken from him and it was given to somebody else who would be faithful with it. And church, you know, I, I think about this passage of scripture. I look at the season that our, our church family is in and man, it, it's just so clear to me right now, like we're, we're a church family. The, the Lord, man, he's, he's given us five. Look, what's happened the last several years, it's like, man, he's given us, the, he's sent you guys to us and he's, given us this facility and he's given us resources. He's given us ministry partnership. We've been given five. And I know I'm feeling this burden right now of like, what are we doing with our five? What are we doing with our five? Again, it's, it's, some are given five and then, and then others are given two. Some are given one. It, it's not about like, just because this guy was given one, it doesn't mean that he was less than the one that was given five. The point isn't, have you been given one or two or five? The point is, are you being faithful with what the Lord has given to you? You know, are we going to be people in our church, in our lives, say, you know what, Lord, here is my family and here is my money and here are my kids and, and here's my job. Here's all my ambitions. Here's everything. Are we going to be the people that say, you know what, feels a little bit risky, but man, my life is a mist. It's a vapor. So Lord, all in. There you go. That's you. That's for you. You take this and you use it for your glory. Are we going to be the people who do this and just kind of knock it out of the way? Let's keep it over there and just kind of squander it away. Because what we know, like, man, the master is coming. And so I'm just pleading to this morning to ask you, like, what are you doing with the mist that you've been given? What are you being, doing with, with this moment of mist, this blip on the radar of eternity that God has entrusted to you? Are you taking what he's given you? Or are you burying it in the sand? What is the talent you're keeping on to? What gift has God given you spiritually? What resources has he given you? What relationships has he given you? What connections are you using? Are you leveraging everything that's been entrusted to you for the glory of God? Because I promise you this, if you try to hold on to it, you're gonna be the person when we get to the end that's gonna have a whole lot of things you wish you'd done differently. And you're gonna be loaded with regret. Was, uh, 12 years ago, um, this December, my, my dad passed away. It'll be uh, 12 years, December 19th. And the summer before, um, our family was on vacation over in the Hilton Head area. We used to, before Emily and I moved to Beaufort, um, our family used to come down in this area every year. And um, while we were on vacation, my dad pulled me out onto the balcony um, one night. He'd been battling cancer for a few years. 
And so he wanted to check in on me. I've been married for you know, several, several months at that point in time. And, and, and he just wanted to share some things were on his heart. And what he laid out for me as we were meeting that night, he said, he said, you know, Taylor, when I was about your age, uh, the Lord laid on my heart a call into ministry and I did not pursue that. And, and man, for, for the next few minutes, I listened to the voice of a man who had a lot of regret. And, and if I'm being real transparent with you, man, it, it haunts me to this day. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. My dad lived his life for the glory of God. I think about as well as anybody can live their life for the glory of God, but I heard a lot of regret. And so he, he really challenged me that night. He said, listen, whatever it is God calls you to do, don't waste your time doing it. Don't waste your time doing it. And that, that's something that I always took, took to heart. And then, man, six months later, it was December 16th, it was a Friday morning, my, my dad got the best report on his cancer he'd got in like four years. And so we went on Friday thinking, we're on the upswing, dad's gonna beat this, we're gonna make it. And then long story short, through the weekend, he had a completely freak adverse reaction to a chemo treatment and he was gone on Monday morning. Your life's a vapor. It's a mist. And man, some of you are sitting on it. You're sitting on it. And God is calling you today. Man, push the chips towards me. Push the chips. See what I do with what I have given to you. See how I multiply every gift that I have entrusted to you. And so I just want to ask you this question as we, we close up our time together this morning. Are you living for eternity today? Are you living for eternity today? You're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised the rest of this day. Are you living for eternity today? Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, well, what is stopping you from calling on the name of Jesus for salvation today? I'm not trying to fearmonger you here, but the reality is you're not promised tomorrow. And you know that. But we're not promised tomorrow. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how are you living for eternity today? What are you doing with the talents that the Lord has entrusted to you? Are you taking and multiplying every spiritual gift, every financial gift, every material resource, every relationship? Are you taking and using all the things God has given you, your ability, your job, and multiplying this for his glory? Are you taking what he's given you and you're burying it in the ground? I heard this this past week, um, and it's, it's sat with me for, for a bit. Procrastination is the arrogant belief that God owes me more time to do the thing he already gave me time to do. We should probably just end it on that one today, right? Like, <laughs> that's enough for today. Just makes, I kind of want to sit down and take a nap after, after that. Are you living for eternity today? Just bow your heads with me as we, we close our time together. Would you just for a moment consider the brevity of your life? Remember that it's a mist and that it's a vapor. And ask God to create within you an urgency for eternity. I'll just ask you this morning as we prepare to take communion together, are you submitted to the will of God? Are you both submitted to the sovereign will of God and are you living in obedience to the stated will of God? What, what is in your life right now? What sins of commission are in your life? What are you doing that you should be forsaking? And then what sins of omission? What are you not doing that God is calling you to do today? And when you invite the Lord to give you 
by his grace, by the presence of his spirit, from the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your behalf, ask the Lord to give you what you need to be obedient today. Guys, think about the end. Think about the end. What would you do differently? What do you not want to be saying on the last day? Will you lay it all before the Lord? So fathers, we prepare to take communion this morning. Will you help us to examine our hearts, to confess our sin? Will you give us a heart of true and genuine repentance that we would forsake what your word calls us to avoid and we would pursue all that your word calls us to do? Help us to remember only one life and it will soon be passed and that only what is done for Christ will last. Give us a holy ambition to boast in his cross and to give you glory in all that we say and do. So Father, as we respond this morning, as we pray, as we sing, as we confess, as we repent, will you be glorified in the praises and the worship and the response of your people? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.